Good morning and happy Labor Day weekend. Welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Amy and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Today is Friday, August 29th, and today we are reading from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we are at page 144 at the bottom of the page, starting with the paragraph that says, On Your Employer's Return. Today's readers are Larry, Sharon R.S., Rockefeller, Debbie B., Sarah W., thank you for your service. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, Thursday, August 28th, is 6798. Let me say that again, 6798, and that's for yesterday's Vision for You meeting. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask for Debbie B. to read the 12 steps, please. Thank you, Amy. This is Debbie B. Good morning, uh, visionaries. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater in Canada. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. My pass. Thank you, Debbie. I will now ask for Sarah W. to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, everyone. My name is Sarah W., Grateful Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The Twelve Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. 
two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself. In our group conscience, our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, accepting matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Sarah. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book on page 144 in the chapter to employers down at the bottom of the page starting with the sentence, on your employee's return. I will ask Larry to begin reading. Go ahead, Larry. Good morning, Amy. Uh, Larry Recovered, compulsive reader from Chicago. Um, thanks for your service, Amy. On your employee's return, talk with him. Ask him if he thinks he has the answer. If he feels free to discuss his problems with you, if he knows you understand and will not be upset by anything he wishes to say, he will probably be off to a fast start. In this connection, can you remain undisturbed if the man proceeds to tell you shocking things? He may, for example, reveal that he has padded his expense account or that he has planned to take your best customers away from you. In fact, he may say almost anything if he has accepted our solution, which, as you know, demands rigorous honesty. Can you charge this off as you would a bad account and start fresh with him? If he owes you money, you may wish to make terms. If he speaks of his home situation, 
you can undoubtedly make helpful suggestions. Can he talk frankly with you so long as he does not bear business tales or criticize his associates? With this kind of employee, such an attitude will command undying loyalty. The greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. Wherever men are gathered together in business, there will be rivalries, and arising out of these, a certain amount of office politics. Sometimes we alcoholics have an idea that people are trying to pull us down. Often, this is not so at all. But sometimes our drinking will be used politically. One instance comes to mind in which a malicious individual was always making friendly little jokes about an alcoholic's drinking exploits. In this way, he was slyly carrying tales. In another case, an alcoholic was sent to a hospital for treatment. Only a few knew of it at first, but within a short time, it was billboarded throughout the entire company. Naturally, this sort of thing decreased the man's chance of recovery. The employer can many times protect the victim from this kind of talk. The employer cannot play favorites, but he can always defend a man from needless provocation and unfair criticism. Okay, so again, Larry, recovered compulsory overreader from Chicago. So what I'm reminded of here um, embedded in these, these paragraphs is, you know, the absolute need for, for honesty. And um, an employee needs to feel safe, you know, and when the employee feels safe, that, that opens the door to, to honesty. And, you know, I'm reminded that honesty, that's the very principle underlying the very first step. You know, bottom line for me, as long as there was no honesty, there was going to be no recovery for me, as simple as that. You know, while still living in our disease, you know, what we, we learn, at least I learned, is to lie about ourselves. And then, you know, we soon grow comfortable lying to others to protect our ego. And, you know, we, we learn when we come into this program, that's why it's imperative that the ego must be smashed. So, you know, in, this, in this, uh, these paragraphs, there's a lot here, but, you know, um, I've heard it said when, you know, when are addicts blind and <laughs> when their lips are moving. That, that was the case for me. You know, um, I was lying all the time. Um, I didn't intend to be a bad person. I just felt so, such shame and so forth. And so does the employee. You know, so an employer that, that's brought to a, a deeper understanding, a profound understanding of, of the exact nature of this disease it's going to make it safe, just like a sponsor can make it safe for a person to, uh, to share. And, and sharing comes with, with trusting that you can feel vulnerable because, let's face it, there's tremendous vulnerability in having this disease. You know, and that, and that was true for me. So after a while, you know, being dishonest to myself and others, it, it seemed, you know, pretty normal. And I'm reminded from the big book that I could no longer separate the truth from the false. I mean, that was the definition of insanity for me. It wasn't that the white coats were coming to, to, to take me away. It was that I could, I no longer, it felt normal lying to myself, self-deception, omitting things, lying directly, indirectly. A lie is a lie, you know, and that's what it was for me. And on page 58, you know, it said, even says they are naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. You know, and, and I know what my chances are for recovering if, if I remain stuck in, in the lies and in self-deception. Less than average, at least, you know. And in Bill's story, 
On page 13, it goes on, a belief in the power of God, plus enough willingness, honesty, and humility to establish and maintain the new order of things were the essential requirements. And so these are the requirements. And now, now here's the hope, you know, from God. It emanates from God for me today. That just like with one sponsor, if the employee begins to trust that she's understood, begins to feel some empathy for her condition, you know, she's going to open up and begin to share some of these secrets, you know, that weren't supposed to see the light of day. And I know that I was always as sick as my secrets. You know, they, I thought they were, you know, my secrets were serving me well when all the while I was serving them, you know. And nobody knew about my two liposuction surgeries, you know. That wasn't going to make the light of day. In fact, they seemed at the time to be a very rational thing. And yet, to me, you know, someone who was, who was binging and purging, that was, a, you know, that was someone who was irrational. That's the, that's the self-deception in this disease. So lastly, wrapping up, I'll just say in the forward to the second edition, Bill became convinced of the need for a moral inventory, confession of his personal defects, restitution to those he harmed, helpless, help, uh, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of a belief in God and dependence upon God. That's what I have today. By taking those steps, that's started with the Oxford Group. That's those principles is what I applied and my life has changed. It's transformed. I don't struggle with the disease. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. With that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Bella. Can I share? Bella, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Amy, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, I love this paragraph and the word honest, honesty, such a powerful word. Before the program, I didn't know what is honest, even though I thought that I am honest. I wasn't honest and I couldn't be honest because I was connected to myself only. I was connected to my ego. I was scared. I was with fears. I was afraid to be judged and blamed. I couldn't be honest. I couldn't be honest to myself. I couldn't, I couldn't be honest to the society. Thank you, God, that now I am in the program and I learn what honest means. I learn to live with honest. And how come I can be now honest? Because I am no longer connected to my ego. No longer I am a people pleaser. I am connected to God. I am here to give over God's message and not my own message. I am connected to God. I am God's best daughter. I am a unique daughter. And you are the same. You are a unique child of God as well. And it's okay. I am human. I can do mistakes. I am not looking anymore for perfect. I am looking for progress. And this is the honest, the honest to accept myself as human. And therefore, I can do mistakes. I don't know everything all the time. And it's okay. I can apologize and to change my behavior. Because today I am not looking anymore 
to please people. I am here connected to God, and I have only one power to choose to do the right choice one day at a time. And it's such a freedom. I am honest. I can be honest to myself. I can be honest to God, and I live free. I live safe and secure. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Okay, I'll go ahead and dive in here. My name's Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. I'm zeroing in on here. The greatest enemies of us alcoholics are resentment, jealousy, envy, frustration, and fear. And I had to sort of giggle when I read that because if 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 you put those descriptions um you had me described as an active compulsive overeater. I was resentment, I was resentful, jealous, envious, frustrated, fearful, throw in dishonest as well. We've been talking about honesty, selfish, immature, and you had me. That was, that was who I was uh, prior to coming to this program. You know, as we've talked about again, again, through these paragraphs and through these pages, that this disease, because of the physical allergy and especially the mental obsession, the way we think and the way we act is not healthy. It says in step one that we have warped our minds with such destructive eating that only an act of providence can relieve us. And what that means is we need a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And in order to do that, we have to learn to let go, and we learn how we need to learn how to not be jealous, envious, frustrated, and fearful. And for me, you know, that was holding on to this program with dear life. Once I put the food down and surrendered to my powerlessness in step one, and start working these steps like my life depended upon it, because like they're saying in these paragraphs, you know, we have to go to work. We have to now deal without our crutch, without our substance, and go to work and deal with other people and our employees and our employers. And we have to work through these steps to learn how to change our behaviors, our attitudes, and our reactions to life. To life. Because I don't know about you all, but, but my only reaction to life was to put the food down my throat. That was my only reaction to life. That's how I learned to cope. So we get out there, we put the food down, or I did, for example, I had just gotten out of college. I had to go to work. I had to learn how to be an employee. I had to learn how to function without binging my brains out. And how did I do that? I had to learn how to change. I learned how to be less uh, self-centered and more God-centered. And that slowly became a transformation through working the 12 steps. And I can't recommend stronger why it's so important to work for a sponsor. Because they're already preparing the employer here for what they might get from someone who is newly recovered. I mean, the employee could be all over the map, running at the mouth about what's going on and what they've done and all those things. And, you know, it's important to be working with the sponsor so that when it's time, we do speak to the employee, employer, our bosses, about what we've done and what we need to make amends for. But that's step eight and nine. You know, we need to be working closely with our sponsor about the appropriate time and place to take these issues to our employee, our employer, excuse me, if need be, our bosses, if need be. The big book says trust and reliance on God and love and tolerance of others. 
And that needs to be our credo. It needs to be my credo in life with my family, with my job, and my interactions with other people. But that doesn't come overnight. The big book says twisted thinking doesn't vanish in a twinkling. This is a process of transformation and a spiritual awakening. And that's something that doesn't happen overnight. But we need to learn to work this program in the steps like our life depends upon it, and this transformation will take place. But the big book is very clear about resentment and fear. Fear, it says, should be bracketed with, I think that's four-letter words. I can't remember it exactly. And resentment they call the number one offender. And they say selfishness, self-centeredness, we must get rid of it or it kills us. And what that means to me is that those behaviors are what lead me back to the mental obsession and back to the food and back to hell. And that's not where I want to be today. And by the grace of God, I don't have to because of these wonderful 12 steps. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to share this on is what Janice. was read? Yeah, this is Janice M. Amy? Yes, go ahead, Janice. Dive in. Well, yeah, thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Pardon me, my name is Janice um, M., and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I'm going to just um, extend what you said, Amy, on page uh, the same page, paragraph 4. You know, I can act, um, I can add gossip to that list, and boy, is that malicious. That's really hurtful, and that's what some people, you know, some people, whether they're at the workplace or even in our program, which is deadly, to to gossip, Um, because, you know, some people are jealous of people that have recovered, they don't, you know, they don't want to be recovered, and they, they're jealous because you're recovered. So these are very good suggestions for the employer and a sponsor, of course. You know, um, the sly, you know, they, <clears throat> pardon me, they, um, they talk slyly, you know, just like the disease is highly skilled. Uh, this is what people talk about other people. And, you know, gossip. You know, it is a no-no. It's, it's. I think the 12 and 12 says it's like a, a murderous slander. And, you know, that can really, really destroy a group or it can destroy, um, you know, um, the, the alcoholic the, the, because, you know, we want to build them up. We don't want to tear them down. But as far as a skillful employer or a... Um, or or we're talking of an employer here, or a sponsor, you know, we have to have enough skill to defend. Not that we're going to play favorites, but we're going to defend because how are people going to trust us, especially if they come to us as an employer and tell us things? There has to be some trust there, like there is with the sponsor. And um, I think that's very, very important because, you know, some people can be very sneaky are deceitful, and it can really ruin people for no reason at all. And uh, with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else before we move on? All righty then. Sharon, R.S., could you please go ahead? Fabia? Sharon, you have to press star one to unmute, please. Maybe we lost Sharon. I think I heard someone else who wanted to share.
and I am here. If, oh, if thank no you, one else wanted. Oh, I couldn't get <laughs> unmuted here. Yeah. Did someone else want to share? Or do you want me to? Okay, yeah. Sharon, just hold on one quick second, and we'll let Ravia share, and then you'll come back and read. Is that okay? That's fine. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Ravia. Oh, I, I'm having trouble with my phone. Can you hear me? I can hear you clear. Oh, thank you so much. Uh, good morning, everybody. This is Ravia, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater from Yonkers, New York. Shout out to Charles. <laughs> good morning, everyone. I'm so happy to be on the line. Um, I can't get through on my landline. It's blocking it. And, um, you know, it's so interesting. Every day that we read from the big book, it so applies to my day-to-day life. I'm just loving how this big book is so alive in my life today. And um, so I was on the phone yesterday with someone who's doing their fourth step on fear. And and what came up is uh, fear that... But this meeting wouldn't be in existence, that one day we would call in and it wouldn't be here. (laughs) And so we did a fear um, inventory on on that. And then this morning I go to call in and the call is blocked. So I just chuckled, you know, and I just said, okay, God, let me live in the solution. So I texted Mel, Melanie, and, and, um, you know, she told me, I tried something else, and I tried, and then I tried my cell phone, and here I am, and my home phone is still blocked. So I'm so grateful to be on the line with with all of you this morning. Um, and I will call my, I will take care of my uh, landline. So, um, so I love what we're talking about: resentment, jealousy, envy. And what I underline is there will be rivalries and. As all of you know, I've been sharing, you know, my greatest challenge these past few weeks has been my face-to-face meetings. I've owed this one person in every face-to-face meeting, you know, I've been to um, lately. And so I'm so happy to say I prayed yesterday. I got to come with me. I went to a face-to-face meeting, and I don't owe an amendment today. So, you know, this just thrills me. And, you know, to be one among many um, and, to, and to be recovered um, and to just be recovered, you know, and to let everybody be on their own journey. And, um, and so, you know, that makes me very happy that... Uh, um, oh boy! Thank I you, Ravia. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Ravia. Sharon, go ahead, please. Well, good morning to all. Good morning, Amy. I am Sharon R.S., a recovered compulsive overeater. As a class, alcoholics are energetic people. They work hard and they play hard. Your man should be on his mettle to make good. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. You may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. He may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics and sometimes something of the sort may come up during business hours. 
a reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. After your man has gone along without drinking for a few months, you may be able to make use of his services with other employees who are giving you the alcoholic runaround, provided, of course, they are willing to have a third party in the picture. An alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position. Being on a radically different basis of life, he will never take advantage of the situation. Your man may be trusted. Long experience with alcoholic excuses naturally arouses suspicion. When his wife next calls saying he is sick, you may jump to the conclusion he is drunk. If he is and is still trying to recover, he will tell you about it, even if it means the loss of his job, for he knows he must be honest if he would live at all. He will appreciate knowing you are not bothering your head about him, that you are not suspicious nor are you trying to run his life so he will be shielded from temptation to drink. If he is conscientiously following the program of recovery, he can go anywhere your business may call him. In case he does stumble, even once, you will have to decide whether to let him go. If you are sure he doesn't mean business, there is no doubt you should discharge him. If, on the contrary, you are sure he is doing his utmost, you may wish to give him another chance. But you should feel under no obligation to keep him on, for your obligation has been well discharged already. A lot of meat there in these few paragraphs. And for me... This is very exciting stuff because it's the other side of the story. Uh, For many, many pages, we talked about our demise and and how we had fallen and how uh, what bad characters we were. And now we start to see here who we really are. And these paragraphs are telling us how we are in the world. What for me, what I never learned is how to live life on life's terms. I lived in a fantasy world of my own making. And when life didn't live up to my fantasy, I escaped into food and into a, the small world of, in front of, on the couch in front of the television. But here, as I have recovered, and and it describes it so well in these paragraphs, I find out who I really am. And I'm not just a lazy slug. I'm actually an energetic person. And I work hard. I'm not lazy. I thought I was just a lazy person. And I find out that I'm really a hard worker and I have a lot of energy. And I I am like what they describe. I have to... Uh, curb my desire to work 16 hours and to overdo it. And I know that was true for so many of us early in recovery where we had to 
use our sponsors to help us regulate ourselves because we never learned what was too much. Uh, We didn't know what was too much food and we didn't know what was too much work and activity and we didn't know what was too much doing. And so we needed support in that from those around us to say what was enough. And uh, as we go out into the world, we're still learning and we're still growing. Uh, But what's exciting is that we can go in the world and know that we are protected. Uh, The protection that we have in the rooms protects us also when we enter back into the work world, back into the community, back into life. Um, and so that, well, and with that, I I just, um, I want to also just quickly give a definition for the word metal. Uh, your man should be on his metal to make good. And that word refers to, the, the definition is a person's ability to cope with difficulties to face a demanding situation in a spirited and resilient way. And that's, uh, again, uh, this is exciting stuff because when I was in the food, I couldn't face anything. I, it was just, um, it was, life was so, so very difficult. I, I couldn't deal with the challenges. And now what I'm telling you, what I'm being told is that I can face life in a spirited and resilient way and that's exciting today and with that I pass thank you Sharon would anyone else like to share on what was read Rakefit go ahead Rakefit hi this is Rakefit compulsive overeater in California and I go ahead okay and I um I really like I really like this page because I have a huge problem with dishonesty. I am a lying, cheating, stealing, food addict, compulsive overeater. And just to show you what a sick puppy I was, I was in relapse uh, almost a year ago, a really painful relapse, and I was trying to get a sponsor. I was just trying to get out of this relapse any way I could. So I called up a woman that announced herself as a sponsor, and I told her, I lied to her. I lied to her to get a sponsor. I told her I had already read the first 164 pages and because I knew that she was only going to take sponsees that had read the first 164 pages. And I lied to her. I told her straight out, I, 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 I read the 164 pages. I'm ready to go. And she was so impressed. Wow, definitely. I'm going to give you to another sponsee to work with. And that was a total lie. I had read the first 164 pages of months and months and months ago. And she wanted someone that recently, now, read the first 164 pages. So it was a straight-out lie. And, of course, I couldn't live with myself. The good thing about me, for me, is that I can't live with myself with a, with a deep lie like that. So after a day or two, I told her the truth. And the woman that was going to sponsor me, her sponsee, said, I told her the truth, too. She said, no, I can't work with you. And we hadn't even started working together, but she couldn't work with me because I lied. And I, I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. It's really, really hard to work with a liar. And, um, you know, eventually things worked out, and I, and I got a sponsor, and uh, I got recovered. But I, the insanity, 
just to show you how insane I am, I lied in a 12-step program to recover. And there was no way. There was no way that that could work. And so I know that honesty, rigorous honesty, is really, really important for me in this program. And as a sponsor, my job is to create trust, build trust with my sponsees so that they don't have to be dishonest with me. I um, Trust is so important. It's really hard to be honest with somebody you don't trust. But um, this, this, this whole concept of being honest, you can't get recovery if you're not honest. That was for me the honest truth. I could not get recovered by lying about anything to my sponsor, anything. And I don't lie now. And I'm so relieved and so grateful to God and to this program. And thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you for sharing. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hello, this is Raquel. Leia. Go, a- go ahead, Raquel, and then Leia. Oh, this paragraph bring me down memory lane. This is Rachel, compulsive overeater in recovery in Jerusalem, and very grateful. It's Amy who is leading, right? So uh, thank you for the service, and thank you all my dear friends on the line. This brings me down memory lane, uh, this sentence about um, that, uh, I, I will find it in a minute, about how the, the employer is advising the employee to go and have some fun and not work so hard. Uh, yes, here it is, uh, being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental adjustments to life, which no, no alcohol you may overdo. You may have to curb him to work 16 hours a day. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. You may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics, uh, but up to there uh, to to play once in a while. And I remember myself coming into a school where I was I was very happy to be there, and I I was hell bent on succeeding, but I was in the food. I was not uh, recovered. I was working 16 hours and more because I was trying to hold my place and. Um, the more I ate, the more uh, hours I needed to be there to do what before took me half the time. And this kind rabbi took me once into the office and said to me, why don't you just, you know, take your son. My son was in high school and I was in the middle school. Uh, why don't you just take your son and go have some fun? Uh, wow. You know, I was fighting for my life, supposedly. Uh, with with the job, I, I had to fight with my life to stay uh, sober. At the end of that year, I went into rehab. But the fact that employers can be can be kind and notice, even though with the food it's a, a heck of a lot less obvious than with, with the alcohol, uh, that this person is just not running their life right, and they want to help you, but they don't know what, what you're up against, and there was no one there that... Even now, there are few people who are not don't have our disease who understand that addiction is a whole different ball game than any of the other kind of sports. Uh, in parentheses, but yes, there are lots of good people out there who are willing to help if we'd open up and come out honest, come clean, and say, you know, I'm trying to do this thing and it's very hard, 
And I mean, if, if, I, if I knew what I know now, I would probably say to this good man, I need a couple of weeks off to go into rehab and not wait until the end of the year when I was totally demolished. But for what for now, if I would have a sponsor who would be in that condition, uh, and, and I do have a good friend now in that condition to say, just, you know, ask for a leave of absence and go take care of yourself, honey, because then you'll come back and you'll be a, a lot better off. So uh, I, I will pass this. I want to say that this chapter to the employer, I never thought I would get so much out of and identify from so many different angles as all the wonderful people have shared. And thank you for, very much for being there. And I pass. Thank you so much. Leah, go ahead. Thank you, Aim. Um, well, first I wanted to zero in on this statement here as a class, alcoholics are energetic people. And, um, you know, that energy uh, can be an asset. You know, m- my energy was either going to be utilized to self-destruct, as was uh you know, as occurred, you know, almost two decades of, of madness in this illness, or channeling that energy towards recovery. And, yes, it needed some balancing out, you know, whether it was in the workplace or family or recovery. But <laughs> the fact that we're energetic people, uh, you know, depending on how it's channeled, can be a very, very positive thing. And then that statement that says, you know, being on a radically different basis of life, and that's exactly, you know, living life in these steps is radically different. I mean, I shared yesterday that I had basically crawled my way into my supervisor's office asking for a leave of absence so that I could attend to uh, the recovery of my addiction, uh, that it had wrapped its talons around my throat and I needed uh, to uh, take care of myself or die. And, um, you know, I was taken through these steps because someone cracked the text open and um, allowed me to, uh, you know, see that uh, I had a spiritual illness and that I needed a new mind, a spirit-guided mind, and that I could get that through the process of these 12 steps. And, indeed, that's exactly what occurred. And, of course, three months later, you know, then I went back into that same work environment, but I had new, new tools for living. I mean, under the heavy anesthetic of compulsive overeating, there was numbness. There was this uh, delusional security, and I was cut off uh, from all connections with reality and life itself. Once I was through this process and and, uh, merged back into that work life, um, I had these tools for living, these steps, you know, particularly step four through nine, and then, of course, living in step 10 gave me the opportunity to recognize that certain attitudes and ideas that I had acquired in childhood, perhaps some to allow me to survive a sometimes challenging uh, environment, uh, were inappropriate attitudes in my adult life you know, blaming others for my misfortunes and uh, denying responsibility for my behavior and resisting the truth of life and reality were behaviors that had to change. You know, the same person was going to eat again. But I did not have to eat if I continued to live on a radically different basis of life, a fundamentally and significant different basis of life. And essentially, uh, this recovered life um, 
you know, and the emotional maturity that could be developed was going to demand an ongoing total acceptance of people, places, and things, and situations, whether it was in the workplace or in my family life or in other environments. Uh, I was going to have to accept situations, places, things as they were rather than as I might wish them to be. But the program of recovery, these steps, particularly steps four through nine and then living in step 10, gave me an understanding of how I developed those attitudes and outlook, how those were formulated, uh, and how those used to govern me, and gave me the opportunity now to be a changed person. And in the program of recovery and through these steps, I was able to learn how to embrace life's numerous challenges, people, places, and things, and transform them into opportunities um, for personal growth and a deeper connection to my higher power. And that's a result of these uh, steps. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Larry. Go ahead, Larry. Amy, just briefly, sorry, it's my second time, but I uh, just wanted to share on something briefly. It says, an, an alcoholic who has recovered but holds a relatively unimportant job can talk to a man with a better position. Being on a radically different basis of life, he will never take advantage of the situation. You know, it reminds me, you know, there's no rock stars in this program. I remember first coming into this program, and I was uh, I was enamored with uh, you know the rock stars, but the rock stars were were in my mind, you know. I created that perception of them, you know. And uh, we all got here, uh, we all got here with a problem, you know. Our problem may be on different ends of the spectrum, but we all got here kind of on a losing streak. I know that was the case for me, you know. So um, I was talking to a sponsee yesterday talking about this very thing, that sometimes we could put, you know, the the reason I'm recovered today, let there be no mistake, God did for me what I could not do for myself. You know, it was nothing that I did other than just work these steps. I rowed my boat. You know, I chopped the wood. You know, the simple stuff. It seemed hard, but it was was quite simple. God did the heavy lifting. You know, and uh, so I I just, it's a great reminder that the, the, the person within the, the company, the lower position. I've learned some things from people. You know, you could take my PhD and I could wipe my nose with it, honestly, because the person, the people that taught me, these recovered people, you know, these were people that had a PhD in, uh, in disease and recovery and becoming recovered. And those were people I can learn from, and I still learn from those people today. So good reminder, we can, when we're recovered, I don't care what station in life, what socioeconomic, what, who you are, we can learn and we can identify, I can identify with you. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. This is Sally. Thank you. Thank you, Larry. Sally, go ahead, please. Thank you for hearing me, Amy. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, edition for you. It's Sally in South Jersey, recovered, compulsive overeater, and I just hated to see this page go by and not say something about this first paragraph that really um, speaks to me. As a class, alcoholics are energetic people. They work hard and they play hard. It's funny, I always thought that was just me. I never really thought that that was a characteristic that perhaps many of you might also have, that you work hard and that you play hard too. It says, your man should be on his mettle to make good. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustments 
to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. What an incredibly powerful sentence that is for me. Being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol, he may overdo. And why does that happen? First of all, because, you know, we don't get the reinforcement that other people recognize that we have been sick. We have been sick. I have been sick for 52 years of my life. I've been living in a twisted, a crooked and twisted mental state. I can still look over my left shoulder. I can still see the dust rising from the wreckage of my life as I walk like some kind of a a character from a movie walking away from a horrific scene of a crime, a scene of an accident, being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to a life which knows no alcohol. That's my life right now. That's me walking into the sunset faced with physical and mental readjustment. I've had physical readjustment. I was on 80 milligrams of omeprazole. That's Prilosec. That's for GERD. 40 milligrams in the morning, 40 milligrams at night for a stomach that when I had an endoscopy, they thought I had stomach cancer. They did a biopsy on my stomach. They thought I had Barrett syndrome. But it turns out God is good. No, I didn't have it. Just, just, Just shy of it. So here I am faced with physical and mental readjustments to life. I don't have any medications anymore. I had for years Band-Aids with with first um, Seldane D, which was my hero to save me as a singer, then Allegra, then Claritin, then Zyrtec. For years, over 20 years, I was putting a Band-Aid on me having an allergy to dairy but not willing to give up dairy. So I had the Band-Aid factor. Now I don't have the Band-Aid. Now I don't eat the the dairy. So being somewhat weakened and faced with physical and mental readjustment to life, to a life which knows no binging, no, no eating disorder, no foods that are crippling my body, he may overdo. You may have to curb his desire to work 16 hours a day. What? To compensate? Because I, because I have to compensate for how many years I wasn't. I was laying on a couch, slothful. You may need to encourage him to play once in a while. Yeah. He may wish to do a lot for, for other alcoholics. And something of the sort may come up during business hours. Yeah. That would be my life. I know I could keep going, but I, I know my time is up. Have a great day, everyone. With that, I pass. Thank you, Sally. Carolyn. We have a few short minutes left. Carolyn, go Dr. ahead, please. Thank you. Um, hi, this is Carolyn, a recovered compulsive overeater in New York. Um, I can really relate to, you know, having sort of lived in my disease, or should I say not lived, having been in suspended animation for all those years, finally coming around and kind of lifting up my head and seeing the world. I just want to jump in with both feet. I, I want to, you know, I don't, I don't just want to work hard. I want to, I want to play hard. I want to you know, uh, to help everyone, I want to do more than I can. Um, you know, I have a lot of making up to do to people that I've harmed, uh, including my family, probably especially my family. Um, and I have a lot on my plate right now. There's a lot going on in my life. 
and yet, you know, because I'm I'm recovered and I, I have so much more energy and I feel so much more alive and enthusiastic. I mean, I I just want to do it all, you know, and um, and I don't want, you know, I mean, yesterday I was very willful about um, taking on some additional service that I did not run by my sponsor first, and um, and I knew I was doing it. I mean, I just kind of rushed it through, and then it was a done deal, and you know. I got called on it, and it was kind of like, well, what do you think you're doing? You know, you're newly recovered. You know, you got this going on, this going on. Let's make a list of how many things you're facing right now and, and you know, how shortly you've been recovered. And, um, you know, is this wise, right? And that's why I need a recovered uh, person in my life, and I need my God, and I need to stop and, and ask them because my thinking is muddled, you know, and, and is uh, – as dead as I was before and as alive, which is so wonderful, such a gift which I feel now, I have to live responsibly. I don't know how to live in the in, in the in the smart place in, in the middle. You know, I'm a, I'm a person of extremes. I'm I'm either wildly excited or deeply depressed. I'm either going at it, you know, guns blazing, 16 hours a day, or I'm doing nothing. And I need balance, and I get that balance through God or my sponsor. And Thank you today that I am humble enough to see where I am powerless over everything, not just food, but over running my life. And I need other people to uh, to see clearly for me. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, before we wrap up here, I am also going to dive in. I, I think it's really important that we notice the fact it says here in that first paragraph, he may wish to do a lot for other alcoholics, and something of the sort may come up during business hours. A reasonable amount of latitude will be helpful. This work is necessary to maintain his sobriety. Again, my name's Amy, recovered from Maryland. If we go to the chapter, Working with Others, it says nothing ensures immunity from drinking and for us compulsively overeating than working with others. It is absolutely necessary for us to carry this message to be of service. And as we've been talking about, what this personality transformation is, is to lose the selfishness, lose the resentment, lose the fear, learn how to deal with others in the work environment, in the family, and become less self-centered because that selfishness and self-centeredness will kill me and bring me back to the food and become a more God-centered person and go out there and help and carry the message. And part of that spiritual transformation is to be of service to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. I mean, and, they, and here it is. They, they think it's so important, the authors of this book, that they're telling employers, look, this employee may have tried to steal your money, may have, you know, padded the accounts, may have, you know, done all these other things, tried to steal your clients, and now he's back and he's telling you he wants to make good. He's being rigorously honest and he's working really hard. And, oh, by the way, even though he's done all those other things, he may need to take a longer lunch because he has something that he has to do that's necessary to maintain his sobriety, which is working with other alcoholics. This is also mentioned in the chapter to the wives, to the family afterward. Why? Because it is integral for us that we learn to give service and look outside of ourselves. And I can't even begin to tell you, I mean, it's still important to me now, but even in early recovery when, I'm in the, when I was in the workplace as a newly recovered person and I said something I didn't want to say or I said something stupid or I gossiped when I should have, you know, how important it was to get out of myself, you know, make my 10-step amends and then go be of service to someone else. Pick up the phone, talk to a newcomer, get out of my own head. 
and be of service to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. That is integral to our program. It is one of the main spiritual aspects of our program, of how we maintain our recovery. Remember, our recovery is contingent on the maintenance of a spiritual condition. And part of that is looking outside of ourselves to how we can be of service. And even for those who are not recovered, if you don't have a message to carry, you can carry your big book to your home group meeting and share from your big book. You can call a newcomer, someone who is newer than you. You can put out chairs at your home group meeting. There are any myriad of ways to be of service and learn how to carry the message, even if it's just doing things that need to be done in a meeting. There are any types of different opportunities, but we must get out there. We must be willing to do that and carry that message. It is necessary to maintain our sobriety and our recovery. And with that, I'll pass. And, oh, yes, we need to wrap things up. I'd like to thank everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. I will ask Rockefeller if you'd be so kind to please read um, the vision for you paragraph starting with our book is meant to be suggested only. Thanks, Amy. Um, this is Rockefeller, recovered from Possible for Eater in California. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.